Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and sustaining community for the whole of TRU. I'm your host, Brenna Clark Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tkamloops Te Shwetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And today, I'm thinking about taking my time, which I don't get to do very often. Let's get into it. You'll hear on the show today a conversation with John Fulton and Jason Toll, who I work with. Um, And it's interesting because we're working on this project right now. Uh, We're calling it the Podcasting Masterclass, the Introductory Podcasting Masterclass. You know, if I could go back in time, I would rename it, but here we are. And one of the things that we're doing is it's an asynchronous course. People can work through the material at their own pace, We're giving feedback through to the end of November, but the resource will stay up and available in perpetuity. And it's been really nice to move through content in a much more leisurely way than I'm able to in a typical one-hour workshop. I love my one-hour workshops, don't get me wrong, but one of the things I am acutely aware of is the do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do tone of relying on a slide deck in a virtual session um, so that we can move through our content, you know, quote unquote, efficiently. I don't want you to do that in the classroom, and yet I do it in my workshops. And, you know, I mean, we do a fair amount of discussion, obviously, and I try to really not like, quote unquote, lecture. But this podcast project has been a lot more like the way I like to teach, which is give hopefully just enough context so that participants aren't anxious or worried or scared, and then ask them to go play. And that's really what the podcasting masterclass is. It's a chance to play, to listen to podcasts and think about what you like, to test out the idea of recording your own little two-minute bit of audio, and then to take that and as I call it, dabble with distribution, play with the idea of releasing it to the world. It's been really fun to see people actually get their hands on the tools, which we're able to do in some workshops, you know, in meme and GIF workshops and some of our WordPress work in the PIDP that I'm co-facilitating with Jamie Drozda. It's the same idea, just having space to like develop concepts with people. It's got me thinking about the power of taking my time. As I talked about last week, I don't feel like I'm taking my time to do anything right now. I feel like I spend most of my week skidding in at the last minute. I'm supposed to be working on a book proposal today that is due, I mean, real world, it was due like two weeks ago, but I promised something today and I don't have it. I will on Monday, I think. And that's about how it feels lately. Like I'm always three days behind where I'd want to be ideally. So it turns out that's a crummy feeling. (laughs) And it turns out getting to take your time with things, especially things you love, is actually kind of delicious. Who knew? 
I mean, literally everybody, right? But yet we find ourselves in these spaces. I'm thinking ahead to winter programming, and I'm wondering how I can restructure the way I do things from this office to give myself and you as participants more time to play and less time sitting looking at slides. (laughs) That's my goal. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, incidentally. And if there's any topic you'd really like to take a learning tech deep dive on, I'd love to hear about it. As I teased, the conversation today is with John and Jason, two of my colleagues and two people who I really learn a lot about audio and production from. I feel like I have a fair amount of expertise on the why of scholarly podcasting and the theoretical uses of the medium, but I have a lot to learn when it comes to like actual audio production. (laughs) My friend Joe, who I make my other podcast with and do literally no work towards is listening. Um, Well, he knows. He knows because he does all the work. Anyway, let's jump into the conversation with John and Jason, and I guarantee you a few excellent podcast recommendations and some thoughtful thoughts about the genre of podcasting as a scholarly approach. So I have the joy of two of my lovely colleagues joining me today, Jason Toll and John Fulton. Guys, can you introduce yourselves and let people know what you do on campus? Sure, Brenna. Thanks for having me. Um, so Jason Toll, EdTech Coordinator with uh, Open Learning, looking into a lot of educational media, video, audio, and visuals. Nice. And uh, John? Well, that was very succinct. I know, wasn't it um, good? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm John Fulton. Uh, I've been working for Open Learning for many years. Uh, my primary job is a video producer, and I basically create media that would go into our distance courses. Nice. Also very succinct. Look at you both. You're pros. Uh, 14 years of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The reason I invited you on the show this week is because we have been doing our um, introductory podcasting masterclass, which every time I say I realize is uh, kind of a contradictory name, but whatever. Um, And it's kind of a new way of offering programming for us. So it's like a a four-week, asynchronous, self-paced class, I guess. It's got four little assignments. Um, and then we've had, we're going to have two live sessions. We just finished our first one this week. And uh, and you guys have been helping me facilitate it. So I just wanted to, I don't know, invite your general thoughts on how you think it's going as a way of offering programming and how you're enjoying the process of working with so many people all over the place, because it's not just uh, open to TRU. That is definitely one of the things I noticed right away was the amount of people that we have that aren't necessarily TRU affiliated. Um, and I think that's terrific. I really like the format. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it gives people the, the breadth and, and flexibility, I think, to to kind of really find their their time and space instead of having to be somewhere, getting a deadline. Inspiration for this kind of stuff happens at any time. So mm-hmm. it's good to be able to just do it on your own pace and then still have those those little meetups and touch-ups to kind of push and nudge people along yeah the flexibility i mean you have to appreciate people's time crunches these days Mm -hmm. so the um like john says being able to self-direct yourself 
Another thing that stands out for me too, which I've definitely, you know, thought about over the years working in ed tech in a provincial level, you know, people are all struggling or working with the similar types of issues. Like Mm -hmm. podcasting, for instance, it's not local to TRU. It's Mm -hmm. anybody who wants to get their words out there. And I love, Brenna, the fact that we are highlighting the scholarly side of the medium. And there were some great questions and people wanted to talk to talk about that aspect, which really struck me as important for this this course. Well, it's a big question. It's one I wrestle with all the time of like, what makes something a scholarly podcast? Because yes, there are things like journals who have people record audio versions of their papers and put them on the website. And that's, you know, that's great for a lot of reasons. Super for accessibility. I can totally see points in my life where sitting and listening to a paper would be a lot preferable to reading. Mm. So I dig all of that. Um, But to me, it's not really a podcast in that context, right? It's like uh, an audio book, but shorter, I guess. And so I've been mm-hmm. thinking about what makes what makes something a podcast? What makes something a scholarly podcast? And I found the participants are really pushing me to actually be able to articulate these differences, um, yes. which is mean of them. No, it's great. It's no. really good. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, the definition of, of what a scholarly podcast is, is, is so, so wide and so, mm-hmm. so spread out, right? And but even the definition of what a podcast is, I mean, a lot of people like we've talked about before, just come to us and say, hey, I want to start a podcast. And it's like, okay, well, you know, wh- what exactly does that mean to you? Yeah. And, and so how, do, you know, you have to identify that, articulate that before you can realize it. And it's that cast part that often gets yeah. lost. Yeah, it's exactly. cast, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that notion of distributing it. And why do you want to distribute it? And who do you want to distribute it to, Right. Exactly. In some ways, that goes against the grain of traditional scholarship anyways, because, you know, I think you spoke about knowledge mobilization as one of the key criteria. But I guess that's in some aspects of scholarship, when you're dealing with grants, or when you're dealing with, Mm. uh, but then a lot of times, the it's a closed audience, or it's more specific for a, a journal publication or something that's not going to be open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think of like things like, yeah, you'd put it into a journal, you know, the people that subscribe to the journal will get it, and then it sits on a shelf in the library. <laughs> Whereas, yes. you know, you can do that, you can do that same thing with a podcast in terms of like putting it onto your website, just having these audio bits on a website, and that's your your shelf. But the casting part is, yeah, what you identified, I think, is the key to what we're, we want to try to do. And it's a lot easier than people think, which is kind of why I like the way we have the course structured right now, in that it invites people to first actually listen to podcasts, because, you know, you wouldn't write a, a scholarly article and submit it to a journal if you hadn't read anything that journal had published, right? Mm. Um And then ask them to play with recording, but then also ask them to play with the distribution. Because, you know, I think people can get really hung up on like, oh, I should subscribe to a service. Oh, I should, you know, sign up with a company. Oh, I should do this. I should do that. When really, like the beauty of the podcast, especially in contrast with scholarly publishing and more traditional modes, is that it's a pretty DIY punk kind of ecosystem. I don't have a lot of experience with uh, the casting part of it necessarily. I'm I'm definitely in the production side, mm-hmm. um, so that that is very interesting to me. Like I, you know, I've tried some of these services and and stuff. And in your journey to get 
get stuff onto you know your show onto iTunes and stuff I think is going to be really valuable well yeah because I think uh, there's a lot of people who would like to make money off of, <laughs> off of yeah. your uh, ventures and I think Academics in particular can be pretty vulnerable here because, you know, there's a reason I use the phrase knowledge mobilization all the time. It's because it's like this key requirement for grant applications, right? Mm -hmm. You have to demonstrate how you're going to engage in knowledge mobilization. Um, and so I think the lack of information about how to do that, how to engage with the public, um, and this requirement to do it, like that's a ripe combination for whether it's like a predatory web development company or a predatory podcast company, like to, to just kind of sweep in and, and make you feel like you have to sign up for these services. And so part of what I wanted to do with this course is just help people realize that there's no part of it that's actually that hard. It's just time consuming. Like yeah. editing a podcast sucks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not hard. It sucks your time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear that. The time is a barrier and also this idea of the website because, mm -hmm. I mean, that is a core. I don't know if it's even essential. I think you could probably syndicate your podcast without a website. I don't know why you would do that. But I, I've had a few chats with folks and like getting a website, choosing a theme, getting some graphics on there. I mean, this is an area that TRU and LTI has the tools available mm -hmm. through Truebox. And that is not, I know that is much more difficult at my other unnamed institution. And I don't know that, um, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm curious as to where other universities and colleges are these days with how easy is it to get a website set up for free that I can then do stuff with. Our, our Truebox toolkit is amazing. It's and astounding. Yeah. I didn't, I don't always realize it because I work with it day to day. And then I was trying to help a colleague at my previous institution get her podcast off the ground. And she was like, well, where do I host it? And I was like, oh, you could just do it with WordPress. And she was like, okay, well, I've got a WordPress.com account. And I was like, oh no, like uh, you need mm. like a self-hosted. Anyway, but luckily <laughs> in BC, we have access to the open ETC. So I could point her in that direction. But that that is also us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Behind, um, the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about assignment number one. So we sent people off to go and actually just listen to podcasts and think about what they liked. And the first thing was, I was super delighted that people did it because, mm. you know, it's proof of concept for the idea of this kind of programming that people actually went out and did the assignment. So that was cool. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that was going to happen. Um, but the other thing is that I really enjoyed finding out about what people are listening to and why they choose the podcast they do and what they are then in turn trying to do with their own dabbles into podcasting. I wonder if you guys have any insights you gleaned from those listening journals. Well, there's definitely a, a community of listeners. I mean, I guess it's easier for me to think about it and terms of my own context was a long, you know, and I tried to capture this in my journal post is my history of listening to radio, listening to music, the audio format in itself. And I, I read a lot of similar, um, similar posts in the journal. And this, so there's the, his, the history of listening mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. 
And then there is this other theme or thread, which is where the listening is done. Because you, it's actually one of the forms of media where you can, you can step away from a screen mm-hmm. for however blessed long that may be. And I mean, I personally don't, like I, I'm reading one here who likes to do chores, mm-hmm. you know, and I actually can't do that. I find I, I stop listening. If I if oh, I have yeah. it on in my ear, but like I'll just drift, even though it's on. But of course, everybody has a different mode where it works for them, where they're where they're listening is deepest. And mm-hmm. so I love seeing those stories. Kind of see where are people listening, and how how does it get in there? I liked your post, Jason, about the single earbud. But I uh, I have I have adopted that. I mean, once I had a kiddo, it was like. I was really into true crime podcasts when my son was born, which I, you know, very quickly realized that I didn't actually want him absorbing all of that. Um, And so, you know, I I came to listen to a lot of podcasts lying in bed with like one earbud in while he napped or I tried to sleep or whatever. And that became sort of part of like that, that intimacy that podcasts have in a way that other medium other media can't really access in the same kind of way. And I noticed that as a recurring theme in the journals too. Like podcasting is simultaneously extremely public, like you're putting it out there in the world, and extremely private because it's not like, I mean, I I have heard of people having listening parties. I frankly can't imagine anything more awkward. Oh my God, yeah. No. I mean, yeah, that that is very interesting because it's, that dichotomy between the intimacy of, of you listening to the single person and and the intimacy of, of them sharing, uh, sometimes, you know, sharing very personal things. I mean, often, you know, just talking about beer or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but it, it can get very intimate. Um, and then also just, yeah, that public, I want to share this story with the world and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, speak to as many people as possible, yet you're speaking to one person directly. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that, that kind of mirroring. Um, yeah, the the journals were, were terrific. I mean, it was nice to see some overlap in content. Like some people were, were uh, you know, listening to the same things. Um, mm-hmm. I was super happy to, to gain some podcasts on into my list because it's such a giant ocean yes. to mm-hmm. cast your, try to yeah. find something that you're interested in. And, and you know, so that, I mean, that, that was one really quick, quick little thing. Yeah, I agree. It's been really nice. My, my my list has expanded and I've been checking new things out that I probably wouldn't have without a recommendation because, you know, it's so hard to tell from the podcatcher if that's something you really want to invest time in. And I do tend to think of podcasting as an investment of time now because Absolutely. I listen to so many of them mm-hmm. and I'm such a completionist about it. I was okay. impressed with one of the commenters who was like, I just stop listening when it sucks. I was like, oh, I can't do that. Like I have to either be subscribed and hearing every episode or unsubscribe and never listen again. There is no middle ground for me. <laughs> Can we can we talk for a second about how horrible the iTunes uh, oh. podcasting platform? Oh, it's like so frustrating! You, oh my god! <laughs> like three times. This is totally off, but three times yesterday, I was I was like listening to Medes in Space, and then my phone turned off because I had to go do something else, and I put it back on to listen, and it was it had opened another podcast, oh. and I had to go and find it, and it doesn't show up in the you just listen to this, and no, I had to like search it, and oh my god. I I only use the Apple Podcast app because I'm yeah. some kind of like I don't know sadist I guess. 
I, I get so frustrated with it because I spend so much time customizing it. So I found the easiest way to make it continuously play rather than stopping after each one is to set up like a radio station of all of your shows and then it'll play them automatically one after the other. So I have like Brenna Radio. But literally every six months they do some kind of update that changes the functionality in some significant way. Yeah. <laughs> Just it drives me absolutely up the wall. But not necessarily better. No, no, it's almost no, never no. better. Yeah. And while we're here, my other podcasting pet peeve is when um, podcasts change how they put out content. So I was listening to It Could Happen Here, and I had listened to all season one, all season two. I really liked it. And season two was all about sort of like, how do you prepare for disaster? I like some uplifting listening. Mm-hmm. And... um. So it's a daily, which it is already I, – I listen to very few daily podcasts because yeah. that is too much. So they went to – but they went to a daily format and I was really into the content, so I stuck with it. And then they started releasing a digest at the end of the week with all the episodes in one long file in the same feed. And I was oh, just like, no, no, this is a bridge too far. I will no. not follow you here. And I unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> there is a limit. There is a limit. <laughs> uh, I can I can't like with your life and I just can't imagine how like where you find the time to listen to so many podcasts. I definitely grew up in a house where CBC was the constant background noise and mm-hmm. so I always have a podcast on in the background if we aren't in a meeting. I'm listening or I'm not writing. I can't listen while I write. But if I'm just doing like Moodle support tickets or fixing shells, I have a podcast on constantly. But this kind of circles back to something Jason was saying. I definitely have two tiers of podcasts. Like I have the podcast that I want to listen to and focus on and I save them for when I go for walks or when I can't sleep. And then I have the the tier two podcasts that I lovingly refer to as background noise. (laughs) The hosts have just become like good friends and I'm happy to have them just sit with me while I work on something and I I wave in and out. A lot of CBC like show podcasts that I listen to like day six falls into that category because I'll I'll come in for a segment and then I'll fade out again, which is much the same way I would engage with it on radio. Yeah. Um, But like if you if if it's more than a weekly show it has to fall into that category or I will never catch up. So like I listen to Stuff You Should Know and Stuff You Missed in History Class and I've listened to those shows since 2008. Like I think I've heard every episode. It's Mm. wild. Like the number of stages of life I've been through since 2008 (laughs) and this podcast has been with me. And they really are. Like I pop them on at the beginning of the workday and I listen while I go and it's like, it really is like having pals just hanging out in the office with me at, at at home. <laughs> at our little home office. They exactly. have such a friendly attitude, those folks. I've forgotten their names actually right now. But Josh and Chuck. Josh and Chuck. Yeah, I know. They <laughs> they were at my rotation several years ago. I once saw them live at the Railway Club in Vancouver. Oh, oh wow. of yeah. course. <laughs> Which is, it's funny, I said I wouldn't go to a listening party, but I have been to several live podcast recordings and really enjoyed myself. Hmm. I think that's yeah. different, though, because of the live aspect in your, it, it, it does that same thing with the intimacy in a group, right? Because yeah. in a live show, you're still intimate with the performer on stage, even though they're performing to a huge group. Yeah, you have something to look at. I think that's the thing yeah. about listening parties that I can't get past. Like, what yeah. what are we all going to look at? Yeah. Okay, the charcuterie board. <laughs> No accompanying slide deck. Have you? I, d- I wanted to talk about style for a second because I mean, 
that was one thing about you know all the recommendations and and how many different styles of podcasts there are and i'm not talking you know about uh, scholarly versus entertainment but just the structure of, of how mm. the material is presented and stuff there's the one i was listening to quite a bit called uh disgraceland oh yeah and mm-hmm. i love that one but it, like he's a very very rote um structured beginning that's really clever and really fun but it's it's you know it's the same thing every time and and mm-hmm. in a good way not not in a like oh my mm-hmm. god you're doing this again but um where he where he talks about some other song and then and then he says you know what, what's what's this tagline why would i talk about this smoothie pop song when i could yeah. be talking about this because i can't afford the rights to that and we're like well you can now <laughs> <laughs> you're on you're on amazon it's a good point the segments the beats of a podcast they matter a lot and Mm -hmm. they it's very disorienting when a show you've listened to for a long time changes up the 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 beats or the rhythm of the show and it doesn't even have to be big things but just you know the introduction comes here and then there's a bit of music and then they move into the interview can be enough of a structural or a shape that you you come to rely on as a listener it's really quite strange i guess it's in the absence of any kind of visual cues those those ideas become much more important you're both much stronger on the the audio editing and like the craft and art than i am is is that kind of what's happening oh definitely those kind of signpostings and and bookmarking mentally refresh you and and grab your attention again so that Mm -hmm. you're you're not drifting off into this just drone of voices right it's the Mm -hmm. same like the same way like with visual editing you you put the cut in to rejar the person's attention to make them refocus again and be, wait something changed right because mm. all of our vision and all of our brain works on detecting change so if there's no change you drift off it's like uh, you know like smells right like if there's a smell if you've been around the same smell for a long time it just goes away same mm. thing with your your ears and your brain like it just it's a psychological thing so detecting change and detecting patterns as well mm. so if you were a fan of a show there's a consistency and a repetition that you you kind of want to make you to make mm-hmm. you feel like this is my show and i know it's going to be 30 minutes they're not doing a 2 hour special mm-hmm. sometimes there's no hard rules but it's nice to stick with your like design your pattern design your your structure and then and then provide that on a regular basis so people know what they're getting I, the hardest podcasts for me are the ones that are chaotic, frankly, like that have strong chaotic energy. So it's, it's different every episode or the production schedule isn't clear. Like, I don't think your podcast has to come out every week, but it has to be clear to your listener when they should expect the next episode. Um, And I think that it's hard for me. I, and po- possibly because I listen to so many podcasts, it's hard for me to make space for ones that are somewhat unpredictable, which maybe is is a not very artful take on the medium. But it's definitely, I find myself unsubscribing from podcasts that are uh, too unpredictable or don't establish like clear rhythms over a few episodes for sure. Right. Oh, no. I will say insomnia is a big reason why I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> that helps a lot. And last night I discovered one that I am surprised I enjoyed. And I'm about to post it in my now playing um, for this week, but I'll tell you about it right now. It's Seth Rogen's new podcast. Oh, oh yeah. I haven't. Uh, it's on my list, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. So it's called Storyteller. Yeah. And or storytelling. I'll have to look it up before I post. Um, but it's it's a fascinating structure because 
It's an interview at its core. The premise is he asks one of his famous friends to tell him a good story, but he extrapolates from that interview to almost like a mini documentary format. So the episode I listened to last night, it's the first episode. It's about a woman who was a devout Jehovah's Witness, um, but questioning. And she meets Paul Rudd in a movie theater. And she ends up going into comedy. And like, that's a simple (laughs) version. She had been interested in comedy before. But but the premise of the episode is like the ripple effects of famous people being kind to their fans. Because then Seth Rogen interviews Paul Rudd who does not remember this exchange at all. Yeah. But he starts to think about famous people who were kind to him. And so then Seth Rogen goes and interviews the guy that he mentions. And it's like this, and in between there's like, you know, um, excerpts from Jehovah's Witness scripture and audio from Paul Rudd's movies. It's like, I don't know how to describe it, except it's sort of like a hybrid interview documentary form Mm -hmm. i was surprised and delighted i can't believe it i was like oh another famous person interview podcast (laughs) but it's genuinely good and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that it whether he or the production team or both have really clearly thought about the structure of the show and how to make it something a little bit different than yet another famous person interviews people show oh that's exciting yeah no i i think I mean, Seth Rogen definitely knows about structure and mm-hmm. comedic timing. And Well, thank you guys so much for coming and chatting with me today. I, um, I am really enjoying this way of delivering programming, and I really want to do more of it. So I really appreciated kind of getting a chance to, to unpack it a little bit with you both today. No, thanks. This is, I'm very excited for this, and I, I can't wait to hear what uh, the people in our, our sessions are going to actually come up with, and hopefully we can you know nudge them along so that they continue producing stuff in the future. Yeah, I'm hoping we can keep the Mattermost channel going as almost like a community of practice and maybe just add to it over time. Mm-hmm. Dappling and distribution coming up next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And we really do jump the jump the difficulty level, right? Now we're like, oh, record yeah. yourself, listen to yourself, put it into the world. Yeah. So we'll see how many people stick with us now that the difficulty level has jumped a little. All right. Thanks, you guys. We'll talk soon. You bet. See ya. Bye. So that is it for Season 2, Episode 7 of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca, and I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. And in both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.trubox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. Or a tiny workload suggestion? Those are really helpful, right? Like it's October and you're marking essays and some jerk who doesn't have to mark anything is like, oh, we've got some workload suggestions for you. But (laughs) I am really consciously restructuring my work life right now. As I look towards winter, there's only so much I can do with the hell that is my own making at the moment. But (laughs) with an eye to winter and an eye to finding more time to take my time with the tasks that matter to me. And I just want to gently offer you the suggestion as you start to look towards winter. And I can hear you right now. Brenna, I am marking midterms. Are you out of your mind? Yes, I am. But (laughs) as you look towards winter, can you find spaces to take your own time? 
a little bit more than maybe you've had the luxury of this semester. You know, none of us knew what fall was going to look or feel like, and I hope we're all starting to settle into something of a rhythm that will take us through the rest of this academic year. At least that's what I'm hoping. So maybe you can find some space to take your time. That's what I'm going to be doing. And maybe we'll meet back here next week and talk about something else. (laughs) But think about keeping space for ourselves to do the things we really care about. Like for me, getting to have these conversations with all of you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.